Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. Member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A.com, to start a new musical journey today. Pushkin. Just a quick note here. You can listen to all of the music mentioned in this episode on our playlist, which you can find a link to in the show notes. For licensing reasons, each time a song is referenced in this episode, you'll hear this sound effect. All right. Enjoy the episode. Do you recognize who that is? That's one of the most distinctive voices in modern music. Roseanne Cash, country music royalty. She's been making extraordinary music for 40 years. And that's the beginning of the title track to her latest album, She Remembers Everything. You know, I recently looked back at some country music charts. 30 years ago, the average age of the artist in the top 10 was 35. Today, it's 28. Country music is losing interest in its elders, which is a shame, because its elders are better than ever. I'm Malcolm Gladwell. You're listening to Broken Record. This week, my colleague Bruce Headlam sits down with Roseanne Cash and her husband and musical partner John Leventhal at the Bridge Studio in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, to play some amazing music and tell a few stories. The name of the album uh, is She Remembers Everything, which uh, it's, it's an ambiguous, difficult song. Um, the phrase on its own seems to have taken a lot, a lot of meaning right now. Um, how did you intend that to be received? I intended it as both a threat and a come on. 
and I, I wrote the lyrics to this song and Sam Phillips, who is just a beautiful woman and a beautiful songwriter, she wrote the music. It was the first time we ever wrote a song together. And I was, when I wrote the lyrics, I was thinking about trauma, early trauma, and a woman's memory and how many things we lock up and that it, there's some comfort in thinking that it was, a woman's memory is like a library. You may not know right off the bat every book that's on the shelf, but you could go in there and pull it out. And there's also some rage in that song. It, in a way, it's prescient because this was before the Me Too movement, before the Kavanaugh hearings, you know, when every woman I know felt completely crushed and discounted and you know, we were told that we couldn't even trust our own memories. And the song actually took on greater resonance for me after that. It's striking how it did. Yeah. And we both, real. I remember the day we both realized it, like we just looked at each other and go, you, you have just entered the zeitgeist at the exact right moment. Mm-hmm. But it was personal. And it's not like all those things didn't exist before for millions of women, you know. Mm-hmm. Those, um, was that the kind of trauma you were talking about, assault? Let's say I have my own stories, and I don't feel the specifics are as important as the fact that the story is believed and valued, just like every other woman I know who has these stories. And the trauma, I think childhood trauma, any trauma, it rearranges you in a way that you start acting in the world differently. And I started thinking, how long does it take to get out of that? How long does it take to become yourself, you know? In your sixth decade, are you still working on this? Are you still crawling out from it? Are you still walking through the world like a thief, trying to steal a little moment of joy or, you know, some attention for yourself? Uh, do you have an answer for that? No. Because I'd love to hear it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have the answer. Okay. That. And in fact, I like that songs don't provide answers. They just provoke questions. Mm-hmm. Did it? Did the feeling you're talking about, um, did that um, precede the Kavanaugh hearings? Oh, yeah, definitely. I, yeah. Mean, I, I mean, the expression of that politically, did that go back to the election? Oh, my God, yes. I didn't stop crying for 10 days after the election. And I have four daughters and a son. Mm-hmm. And my daughters were devastated. And one of them said to me, she called up crying the night of the election, and she said, I feel like I don't matter. And that pierced my heart. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think of that sentence, I just it breaks my heart. And at the same, or at the same time, our son was writing his um, college, filling out his essay for college, and one of the questions was, what would you change in this world if you could change one thing? And he wrote sexism. Mm. I, that just came out of the blue. We didn't expect that. He said, uh, because I have a mom and four sisters, and I see how it hurts them. Well, those are the people we hope rule the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? young men who are that sensitive. Uh, Or young women. Or young women, of course. Right. Uh, Growing up, there were albums, and I know you like these artists, who 
who looked at albums that way, like Joni Mitchell yeah. or, or Linda Ronstadt, but they've thought very much in terms of albums. Do you think still in terms of albums, oh, even yeah. in this age? Oh, yeah. And the time and, um, you know, focus that we spent on sequencing an album, because it it is an album to us, you know? It's like, what is track three? How are we going to start it? How are we going to end it? And even if there's not a theme, there's, there's is a melodic or a narrative arc to it that makes sense. I'm actually not very good at sequencing. John is much better. And Tucker Martin, who is the other producer on this album, half the album was produced by him, half by John. He um, He's also good at sequencing, so I kind of left that to the, to the gentleman. But you're right, Joni Mitchell, that uh, Blue was a really, really important record to me. Up to that point, uh, I mean, I was young, but up to that point, kind of just thought men were songwriters. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that a woman could be a songwriter and that her inner life was legitimate, raw material to create songs, music, art, and put it out in a public forum. That was, that was a startling and revelatory moment for me. Then we'll get to the other songs in a minute, but are all the songs confessional in that? way? Are they all parts of you? I don't like that word confessional because it makes it seem um, like a diary. And there is an an art and a craft to songwriting and poetic license and a rhyme scheme and a melody and a backbeat and all of those things to have to work together to make a song work. At the same time, yeah, there's nothing outside of myself on this album. Not nothing. It's also, and I regret using the word, it's a word that's used with women's music. Absolutely. You don't hear about men's confessional albums. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, <laughs> that's because we have nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> that's so not true. Yeah. Well, uh, with that, why don't we try another song? Sure. What's next? Try being the operative word. We'll see how not it goes. <laughs> um, which one are we doing? Uh, let's do uh, Let's do Jerusalem, but I need... Uh, you just hold the hold the binary code in there for a second. I got to retune. More Broken Record after this. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. 
Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Brought to you by T-Mobile for Business. Now is the time for 5G business. These days, we have robots that do brain surgery. You can ask an AI chatbot to write your term paper. But yesterday, as I was driving fruitlessly around the parking lot of my local supermarket, all I could think was, why can't someone come up with a gizmo that just directs me to the nearest available parking spot. Well, it turns out that's just the kind of solution that T-Mobile for Business can come up with. From smarter cities to safer industrial workplaces, 5G can enable a better, more connected world. And T-Mobile for Business has the network built for the way business and tech converge today. Right now, workforces are more widely distributed than ever. Industries are ripe for disruption, and tech is advancing at a rate that requires vast, and secure connectivity. Offering the nation's largest 5G network, T-Mobile is the best network partner to take your business to the next level. Now is the time to business bravely and start building your future today. Go to tmobile.com slash now to learn more. We're back with Roseanne Cash and John Leventhal. Uh, you talked... Uh, when you were a young writer, I'm not quite sure what you were doing about sitting down and taking apart songs by mm. your heroes, Guy Clark, and Town Van Zand, and uh, I'm assuming Joni Mitchell and others. Mm -hmm. uh, is that something you still do even all after all this time? I guess what I'm asking is, is songwriting like learning the alphabet or riding a bike once you know it, you know it? Or is it like playing a guitar, you got to do your scales. Oh, God. No, once you know it, you don't know it. I mean, part of the beauty and of songwriting is there's mystery involved, you know, As the same with any other really creative act. You start out not knowing what's going to happen, and then it starts to unfold, and then you can see the end of it, and then you edit, and then you just keep polishing, and, you know, it's it's different every time. As far as examining other songs, absolutely. When I was really young and first uh, starting out, I would write the lyrics down, a Bob Dylan song, a Joni Mitchell song, um, Guy Clark song, and try to figure out why it worked and deconstruct the rhyme scheme. Where did they rhyme this one? And how did that work? And where did the bridge come? And why does the chorus work? You know, and really try to dismantle it. I don't do that so much anymore because I think some of that knowledge is just intuitively gone in after 40 years of writing songs. But I do um, pay attention and listen to how other writers um, create things and how they construct their songs. And, you know, like 
a song that has a really subtle rhyme scheme and yet works and how, how did that happen and chord changes um you know all of it it still is fa- endlessly fascinating and wonderful and mysterious to me if if you hit a roadblock in your own writing is that something you'll go back and listen to other things just oh, to sure. mm-hmm. I, I mean even i listen to other music and get inspired to you know, sometimes my competitive spirit gets inspired. Like, I really want to write something that good. I want to beat that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and then... Mm-hmm. pisses you off a little bit. Yeah, it kind of yeah. makes you mad. And mm-hmm. then other times, it's just like, oh, I'm so moved. I want to find that thing in me. Mm-hmm. And then beat that person. <laughs> and then beat that person. <laughs> um, is songwriting something you do, uh, this is for both of you, every day? Is it? Is it... You know what I, the way I look at it, I don't sit down and write every day, but I am a songwriter every day. So Mm -hmm. I'm collating information and keeping notes every day Mm -hmm. and seeing something form just outside my peripheral vision every day. Mm -hmm. I try to be aware of it every day. I mean, I'm a little weird. Like I am compelled to write music in a way I can't turn it off. Um, you know, which is great. So a few times where I wish I could turn it off. Mm-hmm. I can't turn off that thing in my head that wants to create or come up with something that I that I feel is potentially interesting. It doesn't always turn out to be interesting, but like even saw me here today, like before we even started, like I played something on the guitar that struck me as unusual. And the first thing I thought of was like, oh, I could write a song around that. I keep uh, old lyrics, you know, I have files and files of old lyrics and sometimes if I get stuck I go back to something I wrote 10 years ago five years ago sometimes she'll show me or I'll find a bit of lyric that she hadn't really thought about as being either worthwhile or a song and I'll just look at it and go oh my god let me can I please write music to this it's uh there's I think the song we're about to do is yeah this song everyone but me I I had written these lyrics that I didn't think were lyrics. I just thought it was something I was writing for myself because it was kind of an anguished piece. And I thought, I'm not going to turn this into a song. And then John and I were in the studio one day and we were writing, I think we were working on Crossing to Jerusalem. And uh, he said, what else you got? And just (laughs) impulsively. (laughs) And you said, well, I know who's crossing to Jerusalem yeah. first. <laughs> yeah. Well, that possibility always exists yeah. in a marriage, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, I pulled these this raw thing out, and I said, I just don't really think these are lyrics. And he goes, oh, yeah, let me write music to this. And I swear, I think it was the first time we both cried in the studio. Oh, geez, here we go. No, really. I no, mean, it is that's true. That's not we embarrassing. Okay, well, better. take me back. What? Right. H- how did that happen? He wrote the music to those raw kind of lyrics, and we both had tears running down our face. It was very moving. It was a great experience. But I didn't... Ex- what's interesting is that, I mean, I, I really loved Roseanne's lyrics, and I was uh, I felt good about the melody I wrote. Um as I get older, I feel like I've accomplished something if I've written something really simple but has a kind of elegance to it that's not beholden to any particular style of music. But I didn't, I experienced Roseanne's lyrics, I think, differently than she did. So the song was saying something different to me than I think what she, quote unquote, intended 
when she wrote it, which to me is my favorite kind of song in yeah. lyric writing, where Roseanne may have had some narrative or some idea or thought about where she was going with this lyric, but to me it represented something so much more universal than what I think she was writing about, um, about a general idea of loss and... Um, I don't want to get all mobbed again, about tra- it. But, but again, trauma coming out of... Yeah. See, I didn't hear it as trauma. Yeah. I, I heard it more as this kind of universal sense that at some point you're going to lose something that you love. Well... It's unavoidable. Hopefully it is universal. And how you navigate it and how you express it and what you feel about it and what you do with it is, is universal. And particularly as you get older, it's like, you know... Mortality yeah. looms in some places on this album. <laughs> Well, with that, let's hear it. Okay. This is called Everyone But Me. I mean, there's a lot. That's a loaded song. There's a lot in it. Um, It does talk about parents. Yeah. And one thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, people think, of course, you were raised in Tennessee, that you were raised in the South. Um, They're surprised to find you weren't. They might be surprised to find out you were raised Catholic. Yeah. My mother was Catholic. And, you know, I was born in Memphis. We moved to um, Southern California when I was three. And I was raised in Southern California. And my mom was a devout Catholic. In fact, my dad had to sign papers when they got married saying that the children would be raised Catholic. And I went to convent school for 12 years and grew up in California listening to rock and roll. Um, but like all good Catholics, you left the church, left the church. <laughs> uh, but your mother was now was she from she was from San Antonio, San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Southern Catholicism is a, is a kind of whole different thing, isn't it? Well, she her family was Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, her father. Uh, I mean, her father was only a second generation Italian or first generation. Second. Well, they were Southern Italian, so. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, it was Italian. So, mm-hmm. I mean, my mom had a uncle who was a priest. It was pretty serious. Right. Yeah. Oh, but, no, it's very serious. Yeah. But it's, uh, it's, uh, it's almost like uh, being a Catholic in England, which is. Yeah. You're this, kind of, you're this real minority. Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, I left the church at 16, broke my mother's heart. It just. You know, she thought I was going to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just found yet, yet it, to be determined. Yet to be determined. TBD. I found it immensely um, cruel and cynical that my mother, who was such a devout Catholic, was for all intents and purposes excommunicated when she divorced my dad and not allowed to receive communion anymore. And she still showed up and sat in the front row every mass, you know, and worked in the church and everything. And I just thought, how could they um, turn away somebody who was so devoted? Mm -hmm. I don't want to be part of that. Well, there is is a kind of sense in a lot of your work, I would argue, that uh, you've got that Catholic, particularly that kind of Catholic... um, sense of in a lot of your songs of this kind of fight between the world we believe in and then there's the world we live in 
and you tend to look at it, I would say, probably in, our, in, in terms of relationships, but it's a very, it's something you find particularly in a lot of Southern Catholic literature. Flannery O'Connor is a great example of that. That is so interesting. I never thought about it that way. And I, I think that's true. And I think on this record, it's less about that happening in relationships and more about it happening inside myself. And, you know, there's still a good Catholic girl inside of me who wants people to like her and wants to do the right thing and believes in good and evil and morality. It's a, it just seems to be a theme that kind of runs mm-hmm. through, and particularly your views on, on marriage and relationships. You know, some of these, uh, I think two of the songs are, are dedicated to your husband, mm-hmm. um, but they're not simple, easy songs. No. Well, you Considering know. what an easygoing guy he seems to be. Yeah, right. Well, and When you does know, he get here, anyway? Yeah, when does he get <laughs> here? Marriage is complicated. It requires work. It's not, it's not something you're given. You have to work for it. And, you know, we've had... Work, 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 We've work. had ups and downs <laughs> like any couple, and... You know, there's some days I've wanted to get as far away from him as possible, but mostly, I mean, we really like being together. We've, we're together mm-hmm. more than any couple we know, mm-hmm. and we're really good friends, and we work together, raise a child together, live together, travel together, and it's not modern. I mean, I think a lot of modern relationships, they, people spend a lot of time apart. We don't, and we like it that way. Mm-hmm. Although both your parents ended up having relationships like that didn't they yeah where they were very close to the and with the other Mm -hmm. person all the time that's true they did Um, oh your dad and june had ways of yeah sort of being apart as well yeah complicated Mm -hmm. you're now at an age uh when when your father was a performer when he was around your age he was going through a lot of struggles Mm -hmm. commercially i think at one point he was he dropped by his label that was then your label or yeah that was just a dark time Uh, can can you tell me how how that happened he called me he was on columbia and really columbia that record label was built on the backs of him and bob dylan you know it was that that record label owed him so much so he called me at home one day and he said, what's your royalty rate? Because I was on Columbia at the same time. And I told him and he kind of harumphed. And then shortly thereafter, the label dropped him. And I was furious and I hated them for doing that. And I felt so bad for my dad. And I felt embarrassed about myself that I was still on the label it seemed somehow disrespectful, even though I didn't have anything to do with it. it you know, looking back on it, I thought, I think I should have dro- I should have left the label. I should have just gotten off at that moment, but I didn't. And then Dad went to Mercury, and you know, then he had a real fallow period before he met Rick. And Rick came in like a spirit brother, and. My whole family, I think, owes him a huge debt for what he did for Dad. I mean, he, it was such a redemptive act. Mm-hmm. We should mention you're talking about Rick Rubin. Yeah, who's, Rick Rubin, sorry. Who's uh, one of the partners in this podcast. Yeah. And produced, um, 
I think all your father's last five albums. The American recordings, yeah. Um, which are, of course, sort of landmarks. Yeah. I always thought of dad like Matisse, you know, like Matisse starting with representational art and going into impressionistic and then this burst of creativity at the end of his life, you know, when he did the jazz dancers. It's mm-hmm. like he kept reinventing himself. And I think he that fallow period on Mercury when he did all that kind of really... Um, some really shallow and pedestrian recordings. Then he just burst open when Rick came on the scene. Well, Rick gave him permission to be the artist he he really was and not sort of a musical artist plugged into some sort of song slash hit making Nashville machinery, which at that point was just a very bad fit for your father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, he needed someone to say, "You're an artist. You're Johnny Cash. Yeah, you're, yeah. Like, what are you doing? You're Johnny Cash. Um, yeah. Let go of all of this. Let's just sit you down with the guitar, just you and the <clears> guitar, <throat> and let's get back to the basics." Well, let me ask you then. Now, at this point in your career, first of all, how, when you looked ahead twenty years ago, where did you think your career was going to be? I'm not good at that. I, I've never been good at five-year plans or mapping out my future or anything like that. I'm really more of a what's next, what's the next step, what's the next step person. Um, the overarching looking forward vision I've had for myself is just to be a better writer. I just wanted to be a better songwriter and mm-hmm. I want to be a better singer. I don't think and, either of us have ever thought about our careers. Yeah. Like, I, I, we just don't think like that. I mean, I've know? had to learn to think about some of that, you know, as the business has changed, you know, trying to adapt to that. But mostly I just want to write songs and be a better singer and be a better songwriter. And do good work. And do good work. Mm-hmm. The work for the work's sake. Absolutely. And the fact that I'm not burnt out at my age when I know so many people who are, I just feel so lucky and um, I feel like I'm, I'm still learning getting better and what more could you want well you actually are getting better and i'm not just saying that because you're standing four feet from me um the people i know who've heard the record uh has said wow she's actually getting better and that's uh, that's difficult for any artist it's difficult for songwriters um not many songwriters keep getting better is there leonard cohen did leonard cohen did yeah is there a is there a, a magic a musical fountain of well I shouldn't even call it a fountain of youth because that's not what it is you know a fountain what, of age you know what um, there's for me um, to avoid getting bitter is huge um, because you know bad things happen to you suffering we all suffer we all have losses we all have. Um, missed opportunities and I know people who've allowed themselves to become bitter and it really shuts you down it shuts down your access points to art and creativity in my mind from what I understand and the other thing is to stay curious I'm really still very curious I feel like a beginner Um, and maybe that's just part of my DNA. My dad was always like that. He was mm-hmm. always curious about what the 19-year-olds were doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he used to have them on his show, I remember. Yeah. Uh, was I it- think I did to get that from him. I got a good, strong work ethic, and 
the ability to be curious for your whole life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, let's go back and do some of that history because you're going to do a couple of covers for yeah, us. Yeah. Th- this song was on uh, the list, my album, The List, and on the original list my dad gave me. And it's, you know, it's just at the center of American roots music in my mind. Okay. This is Long Black Veil. More with Roseanne Cash and John Leventhal after this. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Join hosts Ben Walter, CEO of Chase for Business, and Tanya Nebo, a lawyer and business consultant, on these storytelling journeys of trials, tribulations, and triumphs that hinged on a single event, a split-second decision, or even a stroke of luck. Whether the story is about a warehouse going up in flames or a former partner stealing a whole roster of clients, each episode will showcase the grit, determination, and resourcefulness a small business owner needed to turn a pivotal situation into a springboard for success. Listen to The Unshakables now and learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank N.A. member FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan Chase & Company. Brought to you by T-Mobile for Business. Now is the time for 5G business. These days, We have robots that do brain surgery. You can ask an AI chatbot to write your term paper. But yesterday, as I was driving fruitlessly around the parking lot of my local supermarket, all I could think was, why can't someone come up with a gizmo that just directs me to the nearest available parking spot? Well, it turns out that's just the kind of solution that T-Mobile for Business can come up with. From smarter cities to safer industrial workplaces, 5G can enable a better, more connected world. And T-Mobile for Business has the network built for the way business and tech converge today. Right now, workforces are more widely distributed than ever. Industries are ripe for disruption, and tech is advancing at a rate that requires vast and secure connectivity. Offering the nation's largest 5G network, T-Mobile is the best network partner to take your business to the next level. Now is the time to business bravely and start building your future today. Go to tmobile.com slash now to learn more. We're back with Roseanne Cash and John Leventhal. It's Long Black Veil, of course. Uh, many versions, your father's, 
Lefty Frizzell. The band did a wonderful version. Yep. I think Rick wonderful. Danko yeah. may have been the singer on that. Just unbelievable. There are some songs that when you flip the sexes, when a, when a woman sings a song that's traditionally the narrator's a man, it can work. You, you can't flip this one. No, you can't work, flip it. And therein lies the beauty. You know, I love that old folk tradition of women singing about other women women being narrators in a song and not changing the gender. You know, the Carter family did that quite a lot. And there pl- Jean Ritchie, there are plenty of other old folk songs where women didn't switch the gender. And is there a certain quality, you think, when a woman sings a what's a man's part? Yeah, I mean, I think it, sure, it provides a different kind of angle or prism to look at it through. I mean, I, I guess that people will hear it as an, a narrator rather than me talking about, you know. It's almost like I come to, I'm Rod Serling or something and come to the front of the screen and present this story. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the gender uh, switch on this song a lot. It, it adds to the song in some ways to me. Yeah. Yeah. And it was co-written by a woman. Yeah. Mary John Wilkins, yeah. Mary John Wilkins. Just an unbelievably great song. <laughs> I mean... I call this song the humbler. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, you're a songwriter. Show me you can do something like this. Um, and we should go on to... Farewell, Angelina. Farewell, Angelina. Can you tell me a little why you chose that song? Yeah, I mean, I just love that song. I love the tradition he borrowed from to write this song. I love how obtuse the lyrics are. Talk about mystery. Yeah, talk about yeah. mystery is right. And melody's incredible. And all then uh, it's like all of this weird stuff going on in the verses and then every time it comes back to farewell Angelina. I mean Angelina's such a beautiful name, saying farewell, you know, in some very old world sense of saying goodbye. It just works perfectly. And I don't know many writers who can get away with lyrics this obtuse. He he borrowed it from a Scottish song called Farewell Tarwathi, which was a sailor's song, but he just took it, as Bob did in the previous first four or five years, and just exploded it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It is one of those songs, when I was listening to you, uh, it, it is full of these very sort of obtuse, difficult um, metaphors, I suppose. Um, but some of them seem to be, it, it's also a song that, uh, there are times they seem very real. Yeah. Uh, the the fiends nailing uh, bombs. Ta- yeah. Um, Time bombs to the hands of um, the clock. You know what's happening with the sky. It just it seems to be a song that um, the kind of more outlandish images almost become concrete. Yeah. Uh, as time goes on. Yeah, I agree, and also it's very dreamlike. Like you could. You know, the 52 gypsies filing past the guards. There's something, it's like a a film, you know, a, an abstract realism kind of film. You know, I did skip one verse, by the way. I hope Bob doesn't hear this and know that I skipped the verse about the pirates. <laughs> <laughs> have you written a song? Have you had this song in your mind when you've written another song? Or if have you ever tried to create the kind of effect? 
he creates here? Well, my use of, when I'm writing melodies, my use of minor chords just tends to this exactly. In fact, I would say overuse of that particular <laughs> Never heard A minor you don't love? Yeah. <laughs> right. There's never I, an A minor to F that she doesn't know. That's exactly <laughs> right. I mean, six he, minor to four chord. We, yeah, are, John, we argue about it. John cautions me against that. And I do love it so much. And he said, yes, all of humanity loves it, you know, but just back off a bit. It's, uh, it, well, that's, it's, that's a podcast, yeah. Leventhal on uh, harmony and chord changes yeah. and sort of the diminution thereof of the last 30 years. Okay, okay, well, not to get too serious about it, but this folk tradition of this use of minor chords is mm-hmm. very compelling to me. Yeah. And I write well, and me a too. lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love uh, Bob's early chord changes and melodies and how he appropriated Scottish hymns and, you know, folk ballads and just would have a twist on them both harmonically and melodically that I just thought was just exceptional. Is that a particular gift to be able to hear a melody? Because, you know, I, I hear a lot of those old songs. I can't hear what other people are hearing. I can't hear the, what's modern and what would translate to something else. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I'm not sure. You know, some people can take an old melody and say, if, if you turn it around and do this, and I'm like, I don't. Oh, oh. To yeah. me, the trappings of the song, the 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 original kind of arrangement, everything about it overwhelms my sense of, you know, what I could pull out of the uh, song. Well, that does take a particular gift to reappropriate something that's mm-hmm. old. And I mean, the Carter family did it too, you know, yeah. A.P. Carter. Mm-hmm. Find those old... Uh, songs that were kind of part of an oral tradition that came from Scotland and Ireland and reinterpret them into Appalachian ballads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do want to ask you, you joked earlier uh, about writing for True Detective that they wanted something dark and depressing, and that was right down your alley. <laughs> but you do, on this album, uh, it, it having listened to it a couple times, it is about age. It's frequently about dying and seemingly impenetrable spaces between people. But it, there is a kind of spirit of optimism. I'm an optimist. I always have been. As dark as I can go, I'm still an optimist. If uh, walking into a nightmare, I'm still an optimist. I I just don't go to despair. Your your heart's too big. Oh, that's very sweet. This is going to sound like an odd question. Does it make it easier to write about the tough things in relationships and the tough things about growing older when you're ultimately optimistic? Yeah, I I guess so. I mean, I have a thick skin and an open heart. And I I trust myself to go to some dark places and come back. Mm -hmm. And one reason I trust myself to come back is because of John Leventhal because he's been a tremendous grounding force in my life. I think I probably would not have come back had I not met him. And because of our children, you mm-hmm. know, it's it's too selfish to stay in that place when you have kids. You have mm-hmm. to come back. Um, you mentioned some political things have made you cry uh, for extended periods. But do you believe ultimately, I guess, in in sort of personal relationships and political ones, you believe the long arc of history bends, bends toward- towards justice. Um, I have to say I felt incredibly discouraged in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And 
I do have optimism. I just don't know if it's going to happen in my lifetime, which makes me really sad. Yeah. I guess it is a long arc. It's a long arc. Um, so tell me now about um, the only thing worth fighting for. Um, I wrote the lyrics and T-Bone Burnett and Lyra Lynn wrote the music. T-Bone and I have been friends for 30 years and he was music supervisor on True Detective. Mm-hmm. And he just called and said, would you write some lyrics for True Detective for this new season coming up? And I said, yeah, like what kind of songs? And he said, well, you know, songs that are about destruction and really dark and maybe a woman who has a lover who turns into a bird. And, you know, he kept going on and on. (laughs) I went, okay, that's my wheelhouse, sure. Yeah. And I sent him these lyrics and they wrote the music. But even these, there are two songs on the album I wrote for True Detective. And even those were not like commissioned pieces. They were not about characters. They were still me. Broken Record is produced by Dustin Richmond and Jason Gambrell with help from Mia Lobel, Chiquita Pascal, Jacob Smith, Julia Barton, Jacob Weisberg, and of course... Malcolm Gladwell and Rick Rubin. Special thanks to Eamon Drum and John Liebman of Bridge Studios in Brooklyn. To hear the songs featured in today's episode, check out brokenrecordpodcast.com. This show is brought to you by Pushkin Industries. I'm Bruce Hedlock. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Musora is your access to online music lessons for guitar, piano, drums, and singing. This is your chance to reignite some old musical passions or pick up an instrument for the first time. Connect with more than 100 of the world's best teachers and musicians. You'll get seven days totally free to try it out. And then it's just $30 a month, less than a single private lesson. I mean, why do we do Broken Record? Not just because we love hearing from great musicians. We do it because we think that there is something beautiful about the appreciation of music. Don't you think we need more of that in our lives these days? That's the mission of Musora, to inspire, educate, and connect musicians. Enjoy unlimited personal support, weekly live streams, student lesson plans. It's like having a personal music teacher, only much, much better. Just go to musora.com, M-U-S-O-R-A dot com to start a new musical journey today.